in time, the world and the media have gone corona crazy. Uh, you turn on anything, and you're going to, I, I guarantee you, you're going to hear about corona. You're going to hear something said about it. And uh, I, this past week, I was in, the, uh, uh, in Walmart and uh, in, the, in the pharmacy area looking for some castor oil. And, and uh, as I was looking for that, somebody came up and was talking to the person that worked there and said, where are your masks? And they almost laughed. They almost started laughing. Uh, they were looking, and they said, we're, we're out. And th- this guy was even saying, well, can't, and really, what he, was, uh, he, he said, basically, even, well, do you have even those masks that, you know, that painters use? I mean, he was looking for any kind of mask available that he could find uh, to help him with dealing with this. My daughter, who lives in northwest Colorado, out in no man's land, uh, called me yesterday and said that she went into Walmart and was, they just needed some hand sanitizer, and they're out. There's no hand sanitizer to be found in northwest Colorado. Uh, and no matter where you go, no matter wh- what, what, what you do, uh, and, and looking around, we have gone corona crazy. Now, I certainly think we need to take common sense precautions. I, th- I certainly think that we need to make sure that we're, we're doing things to, to contain and do all this. But yet at the same time, I'm not going to allow fear to control my life. I'm not going to allow it to control my life. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, my daughter, when she comes down and with the four grandkids, and if my son-in-law doesn't come, because uh, it's an 18-hour drive, I'll fly to Denver one way. She'll pick me up at the Denver airport, which is about a four-hour drive for her, and then I'll drive back with her uh, all the way down here so she doesn't have to drive with the four kids all by herself. And in the same way, when she goes back, I'll drive, we'll drive to the Denver airport, I'll hop on a plane, fly back here, and she'll go on. And she, we're talking, making arrangements when she comes down in April, and uh, we were talking, and uh, she said, well, Josh, uh, Josh's boss wants him to pull a trailer down. They, they manage a ranch, and he wants to pull this trailer down so he can take it to his other ranch in Big Spring, and, and then Josh will drive back. And she said, besides, Josh doesn't want to fly. And I said, well, why didn't Josh want to fly? She said, well, I said, is it because of corona? And she kind of said, yeah. And then I said, okay, so Josh is okay with that. So he knows, though, when you go back, you'll be going back by yourself. And so I'll be getting on the plane in Denver. So let's stick the old man on the plane, you know. Uh, and, and because after all, I mean, he, you know, he said led a good life. Doesn't matter that he had an upper respiratory uh, disease when he was six months old. If he survived it once, he can survive it twice, you know. So let's stick the old man on there and do that. So, but we've gone, so we've gone corona crazy. We've simply gone corona crazy. But an observation, I think, that should be noticed, an observation that should be noticed is how one person, can have such a ripple effect upon another individual. Well, this person comes from this country and they get infected and they get infected and it just, it ripples. It ripples. Well, verses 14 and 15 of our text demonstrates the ripple effect of one person's choice upon another person. At any given moment in time, if you're a child of God, At any given moment in time, you are either living out verse 14 or you're living out verse 15. At any given moment in time, as a child of God, you are either living out verse 14 or you're living out verse 15. Now, as you recall last week, we looked at verse 14. 
so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. As we looked at verse 14, uh, we stated, again, it begins there with a purpose or a henna clause. Uh, it's translated in the ESV, so that, or, or the idea is for this purpose. And we talked about what the purpose is. Uh, the clause here applies to both verse 14 and verse 15. We talked about that there's a twofold purpose here. Why does God want a church to corporately mature? That's what he talks about earlier in, in, in chapter 4. What is the reason why God wants a church to experience corporate maturity? Well, in verse 14, he tells us it's to protect individual believers from deceit by the trickery of people. Part of why God wants to mature a church corporately is one of the individual benefits from that is that it protects. God has called us, as we looked at last week, God has called each of us to be part of the spiritual security team of our church. We have a physical security team, but God has called each of us to be part of His of his spiritual security team, that we are to watch out for each other. And as we exercise, which is what this whole, this whole section is about, God, our spiritual gifts, God has given to us spiritual gifts in order to bring up our calling. And again, the idea, God has established unity. That's our calling. God's, a church never has to establish unity. It's been established. Ephesians chapter 4, it's been established. But what we are called to do is to make sure our conduct is brought up to the level of our calling and we are to maintain that unity. It's established. It's been given to us. It's been established by the triune God. As you saw, he talks about the Son, he talks about the Spirit, he talks about the Father. But we are to maintain it. And how we maintain it as we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, we maintain our unity by the use of our spiritual gifts. And by doing as we use our spiritual gifts, it allows us as a church to corporately mature. And the benefits of corporate maturity, or the lack thereof, is expounded in verses 14, 15, and 16. Verse 14, it's to protect. Corporate maturity in verse 15 is to promote healthy individual growth and development. And as we saw last week, as we studied verse 14, it led us to the sobering conclusion that when we fail, when we fail to use or we misuse our spiritual gift, that we are derelict in our responsibility to provide protection to those who are spiritually vulnerable. That we're spiritually vulnerable. He, he, he talks about there no longer. In fact, as we told you, in, 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 in the Greek text, that phrase no longer is the first word. It's showing us in, word order in the Greek text is for emphasis. And no longer, no longer be children. Which lets us know that that's what, that's, that's what we are prone to be. We are prone to be, that's our natural state. It's our natural state. Well, this morning's textual focus unpacks the positive effect that occurs in the lives of individual church members when we choose to be faithful in the exercise of our spiritual gifts and to demonstrate just how vitally important. You say, well, what's the big deal about using our spiritual gift? Well, to, to demonstrate how vitally important it is to exercise your spiritual gift, the form and the wording of verse 14 is a stark contrast to verse 14. Verse 15 is presented and it's written as a stark contrast. 
You've got this, and Paul says, but this. This, but this. And he does it in three ways in the text. Look at it. First of all, he uses an adversative conjunction. The Greek is day. It's translated rather in our, in our English text, but you could even translate it stronger. But rather... He says, no longer be children being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, but rather, but rather. It, it, again, as we said, it, it's, 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 it's a, the kind of conjunction, it's the second word in the Greek text. And, and it, it's a strong conjunction. He's saying, this is, the, this is what happens when you don't exercise and use your spiritual gift. We become, we're, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable already, and we, can be, we, can, we, we, we lose our protection. The use of my spiritual gift, the use of your spiritual gift protects each other. We protect each other by using our spiritual gifts. He says, now, instead of, instead of not using it, instead of experiencing the consequences of, of, of being derelict there, he says, but rather do this. But rather do this. But there's a second way that he does it as well. When you look at the ending clauses of verse 14, look at, look at, look at the latter part of verse 14. By human, uh, 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 by human cunning. He talks about cunning there in verse 14. He talks about, uh, look, uh, talks about craftiness in verse 14. He talks about deceitful schemes in verse 14. Now think for a moment when you think of somebody cunning and crafty. And deceitful schemes. That's how verse 14 ends with those words. The first word in the Greek text in verse 15 is the word that's translated speaking the truth or practicing the truth. That's the first word. So verse 14 ends with cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather... And the first word he uses in that text, practicing the truth. Not cunning, not craftiness, not not deceitful schemes, truthfulness. Truthfulness. And he does it a third way as well. When he talks about the fact, in verse 14 he says, No longer, no longer children, no longer children. Verse 15, he says, but rather, he says, we are to grow up. We are to grow or to grow up. No longer children, we are to grow up. So, Paul wants us to get it. He wants us to see the importance. The way, just the way that he structures, the way he structures this verse is informative. It's not just what he says in it, it's the way he says what he says the way that he structures what he says. And how he structures it, he's letting us know, I don't want this. I want this. Make sure this doesn't happen. Make sure this happens. He's letting us know in in this very, very short verse, three ways, he's he's pounding it. Not this, but rather this. Not this, but rather this. Not this, but rather this. So what is the this that he's talking about? Well, we're going to look at the manner of growth. 
or the processes, which is in the first phrase of verse 15. We'll look at the goal of growth and its progression in the second, in the middle phrase of verse 15. And then we'll look at the source of growth or the potency that's found in the last phrase of verse 15. So let's look at the manner of growth, the process. Look at the first part of verse, uh, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's the first clause. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Or as, we, as we've translated it this way, but rather being truthful with love. But rather being truthful with love. That's, that's the, again, that first word there is the Greek word there, alethe thuantes. Alethe thuantes. And, and the idea, it, it's a participle that can mean speaking truth, which is why the ESV translates it to speak the truth. It can mean speaking truth or it can mean being truthful. It can have the idea of being truthful. And so as we look at the context and how this is used in the context, it is used in contrast to what? It's used in contrast, as we stated earlier, to those final clauses in verse 14, which talks about craftiness, being cunning, uh, deceitful schemes. And so when you look at it in this context, basically this phrase as it's, as it's speaking to believers, is telling, telling believers that what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are being real in conduct. We've heard the phrase, be real. Be real. And that's the idea here. Paul is saying this, that we need to be real in our conduct, which includes our speech. It includes our speech. So we are to be truthful. We are to live truthfully. We are to be real. We are to be real. And, and, and as Paul talks about here, in the exercise of our gifts, we are to be real. And, and, and again, part of the, the nuance of this word is the idea of being transparent. We are to be real and transparent with one another as opposed to hiding or suppressing the truth through cunning and deceit. We're to be real. Sometimes that's a hard thing for Christians to be, especially in the church, is to be real. Now, I'm not talking about that we come in and we, we, just, we, we, we lay out all the dirty garbage, you know, as soon as we come in. And there's some things that Paul says we shouldn't even speak about. But it doesn't mean we need to be real. No, we struggle. We don't have it all together. I know I don't. I don't. Lisa and I got, we had a Friday evening, we, we watched an, uh, a good movie and, and had, had, had a, uh, supper at the house. And, and uh, she did something that offended me that was sinful and I got angry. And, and so the night didn't end well. And then I'm getting up the next morning to go to Weatherford to do some counseling. And one of the things that Lisa's confronted me about is that when I get mad at her, I tend to throw her away. I don't need you. I don't want you. I live 20-something years without you, and I can live the next 20 without you if I need to. I'm pretty independent. I mean, I really, in a lot of, one of my, one of my faults is, is I don't need anybody. If I, if I get, now I know I do, I know I do, but in my sinfulness, one of the ways I'm wired is, just leave me alone. And she wrote a lot, and I, 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 I keep that. She wrote, when, she wrote something to me, and I keep that. And I'm driving, and I'm thinking about, man, I've got to counsel this, this husband who's having, you know, in and, and, and the situation that he's in. And, and here you are, Greg, and, you know, and I, well, shoot, I mean, I, I, can, I, I can work my way, I can muddle through that. You know, I can, I can power my way through that one, you know. But then I started thinking about 
what she wrote me. And I'm thinking more about what she wrote me. So I used the Bluetooth and call her up. And I didn't want to. In fact, I told her, I don't want to call you. I don't want to call you. I don't want to talk to you. But I know I need to. I know I need to. And we worked it out. We worked it out. We've got to be real. We've got to be real. And that's the idea here. We're to live our lives not in cunning, not in deceitful schemes, not in craftiness, but as we exercise our spiritual gift, we do so with truthfulness. With truthfulness. And we're real with one another. But notice also in this phrase, Paul weds truth with what? He weds it, he weds it with love. But speaking the truth in or with love. Or being rather, rather being truthful with love. Truth is not to be expressed in a harsh or retaliatory way. Sometimes we love speaking the truth way too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? We want to make sure they hear the truth. And we're going to tell them, the, we're going to tell you the truth even if it hurts. And we're enjoying every minute as we're stomping on them with the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. That's the truth. And we enjoy it. We enjoy it. But Paul says we are to speak the truth. We are to be truthful with love. It's not expressed in a harsh or retaliatory way. And and, and the word that he uses there is a word that Paul used earlier in in the book of Ephesians. It's a word that you're familiar with, agape. And, And the idea is the fact that we are real and transparent with one another, not for selfish ends, not so we can show them where they're wrong, not so that we can, we can show, uh, make ourselves feel good about where we're at. But we are real and transparent with one another, not for selfish ends, but rather seeking the other person's highest good. We are but rather being truthful with love. As we live truthfully in front of them, as we speak truthfully to them, as we practice our spiritual gifts truthfully, we do so for their good. For their good. What's their highest good? What's going to benefit them the most? What's going to benefit them the most? God expects us to exercise our spiritual gifts by being truthful with love. Whatever that gift is, God expects us to exercise it by being truthful with love. And we use, when we, when we are using our spiritual gifts in this manner, it enables brothers and sisters to obtain the goal of growth. Look at the progression in the, in the second part, the second phrase of verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, And here's the next phrase. We are to grow up in every way into Him. We are to grow up every way into Him. Or we translate it this way. We might grow up into Him with reference to all things. That we might grow up into Him with reference to all things. There's two things about this. 
that you can take from this, from this phrase here. First of all, notice that the growth of the believer is conditional. We might. We might. Uh, the ESV translates it, he says, we are to grow up. Another way to translate that is, we might, that we might grow up. It's conditional. It's conditional. It's not a certainty. It's not a certainty. We might. So what are the conditions? What are the con- if, it, if this growth is conditional, then what are the conditions? Well, the conditions are found in our context that we've been looking at as we've been making our way through chapter 4. And those conditions are this. The body's practice of their individual spiritual gifts. What's the condition? What's the condition for me to experience personal growth? One of the conditions for me to experience my personal growth in Christ. Now, certainly, I'm responsible for my personal growth. And there are things in my personal growth in Christ that I can only do. But I also need you if I'm going to grow personally in my walk with God. You also need me. You also need the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you if they're a a child of God. You need them. And as a church, we need one another to experience individual personal growth. You and I cannot grow the way that we need to grow in Christ without the help of other believers in this church. We can't. Now, we we can grow, but we can't grow to the capacity that we could grow if the people in the church aren't using their spiritual gifts. We need one another. It's conditional. It's the body's practice of their individual spiritual gifts as well as the second condition is exercising those gifts by being truthful with love. By being truthful with love. Whatever our spiritual gifts, we, we, we're, we seek to be truthful, but we seek to be truthful with love. So it's conditional. It's conditional. Not only is it conditional, but growth is also a progression. Look, the goal is to be like Jesus. Look at the text again. He says that we are to grow up in every way into or unto Him. As we translate it, we might grow up unto Him. We're to grow up unto Him. The goal is to be like Jesus. As children of God, we are to progress in Christ-likeness. That's the goal. That's the goal. Why did God create human beings? Why did God create a physical universe? God created a physical universe so that He could see the reflection of His glory. There's no one as beautiful as God. There's no one as glorious as God. There's no one as magnificent of God. You've heard me say this over and over again, but it still blows my mind. I will have, as a child of God, I will have all eternity to get to know the Godhead. And yet, an eternity is not long enough to get to fully know the Godhead. I will never fully know God. Because if I can ever fully know God, I'm equal with God. I can never, ever, 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 ever fully know God. But I get all eternity to learn and to explore the facets of who God is. And part of those facets is what I see in the lives of the billions of people that He's brought to faith as they reflect God in ways, in all the various ways in which we reflect God. 
but they'll be, it'll be done perfectly. It'll be done perfectly. God created. Why did God create human beings? He's created in His image. Part of creation teaches us some things. So every night when you look at the moon and you see it reflecting the glory of the sun, that's me, that's you. Why did God create the moon? You say, well, you know, and you can, well, he did it for the tides so that you have the tides this way. You know, don't get bogged down in all that. And that's good to know. And that, that shows the wisdom of God and, 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 the, and the, 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 the intricacies of creation. But for, for num-nums like me, you know, God created, and when I see the, when I, especially when you see those big full moons, those big full moons, and you just, I don't know about you, but I can just sit there and, and, and for me, it comes up over this way. And you see it as it's, and you just, for me, I just sit there and I go, wow. Wow. I can't look at the sun that way because its brightness and glory is too strong for my eyes to see. But I can see the glory of the sun reflected in the moon. That light is not its own light just reflects the light of the sun. And that's why God created us. Every time I look at a full moon, that's what we all think about. God, you created... Am I a full moon? Do I reflect your glory the way the moon reflects the glory of the sun? Or am I a new moon? No glory is seen. No glory is seen. But God created that to reflect Him. And His children, God, uh, children, God saved... I mean, if all the purpose was for our salvation was to save us and take us to heaven, then we'd, we'd go to heaven as soon as we got saved. But the purpose is to, is to fashion us and shape us into Christ's likeness. And that's the goal of what Paul is talking about here. The, the, the goal of our growth is to be Christ-like and we're to progress, look what he says, in all areas of life, with reference to all things. In all things. I'm not just to be Christ-like in this one area, this one narrow area. I'm to be Christ-like in all areas of my life. But guess what? There's, I'm, when, I, when, when I take my last breath, or if Christ comes before I take my last breath, there's going to be a lot of areas in my life where it's not still not very Christ-like. It's still not very Christ-like. And that's why the implication from what Paul has just said here, this is one of the implications of it, is that if you, if you think that, that your gift doesn't have any importance, the implication from this very fact of what he's saying here in verse 15 is this, is that your gift and the use of it will always be needed by somebody else. Why is it always going to be needed by somebody else? Because we all still need to grow in Christ's likeness. And the way that God has gifted you enables others to help be more like Christ in certain areas. And the fruit of the Spirit as it's working out in your life. And in areas where you're more mature in the fruit of the Spirit than I am in the fruit of the Spirit. It enables me to... to, to I never may quite get where I'd like to be and may not quite get to complete Christ-likeness, but because of you, I'm further along than what I would be if I was left to myself. If I was left to myself. So this matter of, 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 of this implication, the fact that your gift and the use of it will always be needed by someone else and someone else's gift will always be needed by you. It will always be needed by you. That's why we need one another. 
That's why our gifts are so important. Because how God has gifted you and in your growth and what you've learned from God and your journey and your giftedness enables to help others to grow. And their giftedness enables to help you to grow. It's a, it, it's our, our growth, the, the goal of our growth is Christ-likeness and it's progressive. It's progressive. And again, all this is within the context of spiritual gifts. It's all in the context of using our spiritual gifts. And you can't, you, you can't, you miss the whole idea of what's going on in this passage if you separate it, if you take it out of uh, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. You miss out on it. But in the final clause, Paul's, Paul's talked about the, the, the goal. He, he, he's talked about uh, the, the manner of our growth. And, and Paul talks about the source of our growth in, verse 15, in the last phrase of verse 15. He says, who is the head into Christ? Or if you want to give a more wooden translation, who is the head Christ? Who is the head Christ? Now, we talked about being real. Let's be real for a moment. If the effectiveness or potency of our spiritual gift in enabling other believers to grow, if that depended upon my faithfulness or your faithfulness to the Lord this week, just this week, our faithfulness to the Lord this week, our wisdom, our charm, our talent, our supposed selflessness, sacrifice, diligence, and we might as well throw in since we're talking this way, humility, and on and on and on and on. How effective would our gifts be to one another? Well, let's tell the truth. Truth be told, as we think about it, we might even wonder why we bother using our gifts when we're so deficient and so inconsistent and so weak. I guarantee you, if the use of my spiritual gift, if the effectiveness of my spiritual gift depended upon me, it had the, you know, the potency of a firefly. If the potency of our spiritual gifts and what God designed them to be in order for the church to corporately mature and in order for the individual believer to be protected from deceit and cunning, in order for the individual believer to grow, if it depended upon our ability and our strength and our spirituality and our faithfulness, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But in this verse, in this clause, Paul not only teaches that Christ is the goal of our growth, he teaches that, he he says that in the clause earlier, we are to grow up in every way into Him, and he identifies who the Him is, who is head, Christ. And he not only identifies Christ as the goal of our growth, Christ is also the source of our growth. He's the source of our growth. You say, how do you know that? 
from that verse? By the use of the word head. In fact, he uses an article in front of it. Hey, kafale. Hey, kafale. Which means the head. Now, this term is used in Ephesians earlier. The term can convey the idea of authority, as it does in Ephesians 5.23, where the husband is to assume the headship role in the home and model his authority after Christ's headship over the church through loving service and caring leadership. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. When you look at that text, the idea of the word kephale there has the idea of headship. It has authority. And, that, and the husband's, husband's role in the home is the head of the home. He is to lead his home through loving service and caring leadership. Not as a dictator. Not as, as Ralph Cramden would. And if you're not sure who Ralph Cramden is, you know, uh, Google, go Google him from the Honeymooners. Bang, zoom, Alice, you know. We are to lead by laying down our lives and by serving. We are to lead by caring leadership. But kephale also conveys the idea of source. It's also used to talk about the source of something, like the source of a stream which is how it is used in this context. He says we are to grow up in every way into Him, into Christ. That's the goal. And this one who we are to grow up into is also the head. He is the source. He is the source. Because Christ is the source of our growth, you and I can be greatly encouraged. You and I can use our spiritual gifts with confidence. Now, again, we need to strive to walk with the Lord. We need to strive to live holy lives. We need to strive to be faithful to our Lord. But but we're going to fail. We haven't been glorified yet. But even in the midst of our failures, even in the midst of our struggles... As we exercise our spiritual gifts, we can do so with confidence because the source that is behind the use of our spiritual gifts to be effective, it's not you, it's not me, it's the one who's the head, the source, the Christ. He causes the growth by mediating His power through the use of the gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. The effectiveness of our gifts is sourced in Him. Not in you, not in me. We have no room to boast. When anything good happens through the use of our spiritual gifts, we have nothing to boast of. All we are is an instrument that God has chosen to use. Not because we are so great not because we've got it all together, but because we're willing. God, use me. Help me to be faithful to you. 
Help me to struggle well. I'm convinced the Christian life can be, can be summed up with these words. Learning to struggle well. Paul said, I, I fought a good fight. Paul didn't say, I didn't win all the time. Paul didn't say, victory, victory, victory. He said, I fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. There's times I've been down. Paul talks about being knocked down. There's times Paul doubts. There's time Paul pleads with God, remove this thorn in my flesh. There's times Paul is afraid. There's time Paul ministers in fear and trembling. But he fought. He kept struggling. And he struggled well. He struggled well. Again, the effectiveness and potency of our gifts is sourced in Him. Not in you and not in me. So while the media and the world will continue this week to keep on going corona crazy, instead of being fearful, think about it. Every time you hear a report on the, on the coronavirus, think about this text and the ripple effects that one person has on the life of another. One believer's use of their spiritual gift has an effect upon the life of another person within that local assembly. Every week, every week, you and I have an opportunity to have a positive effect in the spiritual growth of one another every week. Every week. Not just on Sunday. Spiritual gifts aren't just something we use on Sunday, then we hang them up until next week. But every week, being truthful with love in the use of your spiritual gift, which is sourced and empowered by Christ, enables you to be an instrument of growth in the lives of fellow believers. That's verse 15. Being truthful with love in the use of your spiritual gift, which is sourced and empowered by Christ, enables you to be an instrument of growth in the lives of fellow believers. You have an effect upon other people's lives that you may not even be aware of. They hear something you say in, in, in our confession and praise, and they think, Lord, help me to have that kind of faith when I struggle. Help me to find that security in you when I'm afraid. Help me to rest in you. Help me to love others the way they love. We never know. We never know. But you have been given a spiritual gift that God uses along with your life and through the fruit of the Spirit that you get to have a part in the growth of other believers. Of helping them to be transformed into the image of Christ.
what a privilege. What a, what a responsibility, but, but what a privilege. The exercise of our spiritual gifts, as we've already seen in Ephesians 4, results in corporate maturity. And the purpose of corporate maturity, one purpose of corporate maturity, is individual growth. And you, as a child of God, as a member of this assembly, can be an agent of growth in the lives of those with whom you worship weekend and week out. The question is, will you? As we stated earlier, at any given moment in time, I'm, even, I'm, I'm either living in verse 14, where because of sinful choices, because of me concentrating more on how I've been offended, that I'm not using my spiritual gifts I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. I'm not being empowered by the Spirit. And because of that, it has a detrimental effect on somebody else. Or, I can live out verse 15. And use my spiritual gift. And maybe though I may not ever see it, it may not even be perceptible to me in any way. And I may think that my spiritual gift is not that vital, not that important. You know, it's, it's behind the scenes. It's this or that. But yet... It's being used by God, by God's power. It's being used by Him to impact another life into Christ's likeness. I want that for my life. I want to live out verse 15 a whole lot more than where I find myself way too often in verse 14. I want my kids and grandkids to think that their dad and grandfather had a spiritual impact upon their life. Made a difference. Helped them to grow. But it all begins. Spiritual gifts are not something that you get by being born. Spiritual gifts are not something that happened to you because you come to church or you walk an aisle or you're baptized. Spiritual gifts happen in your life when the Spirit of God lives within you. They're gifts of the Spirit. How does the Spirit of God come to live within someone? Someone. The Spirit of God comes to live in someone when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone to be made acceptable to a righteous, holy God is loving and God is good and God is gracious and God is compassionate, but God is also holy and just and righteous. And the people that He created rebelled against Him. I read one thing this week that talked about part of what the knowledge of good and evil, the tree, what it might have represented was the fact that that what Adam and Eve wanted was the ability for them to decide what's good and what's evil. Not just to know, but and it a, it's a very well-known Hebrew scholar which basically talked about he thinks that's part of the idea, the nuance behind the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where Adam and Eve said, no, I'm going to choose 
what's good and what's evil. But we rebelled. We rebelled. We're born in rebellion. We live in rebellion. We make up our rules. And, and we can, again, depravity doesn't mean we're as bad as we can be. Depravity just means that we're twisted in every aspect of our life. And, and good people, I mean, sometimes there, there's people who are non believers that are, that are on the surface are, are good, better people than people who act as, belie- say, they're believers. Morality is not what makes you acceptable to God. Seeking to obey the Ten Commandments is not what makes you acceptable to God because we can't keep them, we break them. So what can make us acceptable to a holy God who demands perfect righteousness? God in His goodness and God in His mercy sent His Son. You know, you ladies are going to be talking about the book of Esther. The Jews were getting ready to be destroyed. Annihilated. Would have made Hitler look like a a schoolboy. But why did God save His people? God saved His people because through His people, through the tribe of Judah, would come one who was born of a Jewish girl by the name of Mary, who was a virgin, and who was betrothed to a righteous man by the name of Joseph, who chose not to divorce her, though he could have legally according to the law. But the angel says, that's which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. And she bears the God-child. God became one of us. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became one of us and lived a life that we could never live and completely obeyed the Father in every aspect of the law. Not one jot, not one tittle was broken. And He offered up His perfect righteousness on the cross to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin. And God accepted that sacrifice. His resurrection proves it. And if you want to be made acceptable to God, you have to recognize there's nothing that you can do. You try, you can be sincere, you can do all of that, but there is nothing that you or I can do that can make us acceptable to a holy God who demands perfection. But Jesus Christ offered up His perfect life as the sacrifice and penalty and payment for my sins and your sins. And when we put our faith and trust in who Christ is and what He accomplished on that cross, and we ask for our forgiveness, uh, we ask God for the forgiveness of our sins and yield ourselves to Christ, we have eternal life. And that starts the journey. The Spirit of God lives within us. He endows us with at least one spiritual gift. And we begin that journey of our lives being transformed into the image of God as the body of Christ uses their spiritual gifts, as we grow in our own personal spiritual disciplines, and as we use what God has given us to help others grow. If you don't know Christ today, cry out to, the, cry out to God. Recognize your inadequacy, your sinfulness, and put your faith and trust in who Jesus Christ is.
for those of us who are saved. May God help us to use our spiritual gift. It's not about me. It's not about you. He's given us spiritual gifts so that we can be an instrument of growth in each other's lives. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your work of grace in our lives. May you apply these truths to us today. May they find lodging in our heart and our mind. May they shape and mold our character and our actions in the future. Lord, we just thank you for your word and for the Spirit of God. We ask now, Father, as we respond and worship to your word today, that we would do so in a way that pleases you. Thank you for who you are and for what we have in Christ. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we do not have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. We want to invite you today to respond in worship to God's Word today. I'm not sure what your needs are, but the Holy Spirit knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you need the most at this time in your life. And whatever that need is, pray you respond to Him today. We've talked today about spiritual gifts. Will you use yours? And if you're using yours, will you ask God to help you to be faithful in the use of it? If you don't know Christ, cry out to God today, please. We're going to give you an opportunity to spend some time with the Lord and respond to His Word. We'll have a time of silence, and then after that, we'll continue our worship through, through our giving.